Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everybody out there, and welcome to a coronavirus version of No Script, No Problem here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? No Script, No Problem is the show that takes you behind the curtain of unscripted television like never before. We've got insight from some of the best in the business of reality TV, documentary series, competition shows, social experiment, game shows, and much more. From Big Brother to Below Deck Mediterranean to Love is Blind to Live PD. If it's unscripted, we'll get into it. I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I've been doing reality television for a little over 15 years. I've done shows like Extreme Makeover Home Edition, BattleBots, Outdaughtered, The Rachel Zoe Project, and Pros vs. Joes. Each week, I talk to the talented people who have made unscripted TV, documentaries, true crime, and game shows, not just something that you watch or consume, but a cultural phenomenon. Now, if you enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe and rate it. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it on Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. And you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. All right, let's get started. Today, my guest is an incredible showrunner, writer, developer, host, and comedian. She is America's first professional Iranian female comedian. She's also a national champion black belt, so do not mess with her, a world-class soccer player, a competitive snowboarder, and a former semi-pro soccer player. Additionally, she holds a BA in biology and an MBA, so she's got a big brain. None of that probably helps her producing reality television, though. Currently... She has an overall deal at Bravo and is executive producing the massive Bravo hit, Below Deck Mediterranean. Please welcome Nadine Rajabi. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thank you. Was that intro good enough? Quite, quite, quite an intro. My God. I was like, wow, who is this person? I, <laughs> I, I just call it whenever people ask me about that. I'm like, oh, that's just me having ADD. There's nothing. There's nothing to it. That's pretty incredible. A black <laughs> Bore, belt, boredom. soccer, snowboarding, and an amazing showrunner. That's a lot. Thank you. Thank you. You are quite the Renaissance woman. Th- thank you. I literally, I think my parents just try to assign me up for every activity so they could burn my energy as a kid. <laughs> I blame them. <laughs> so, okay, uh, we have to address the elephant in not just my room, but your room, because obviously we're not in the same room. We are sheltering in place. Um, so what does someone who does so many different things do during coronavirus when you know you're you're holed up what do you do crazy times right now with like obviously the world has never experienced this it's like it's totally unprecedented i know everybody's been talking about it and the first day that we stopped working from the office it was i think it was march 12th they sent us all home and um, I was like, oh, my God. And I was literally going stir crazy, especially for a person like me who's always active, always moving. And right. I'm like, what am I going to do? How are we going to survive? And now it's kind of just become our new normal. And it, it's a, I mean, it, what's crazy is I found that we're 
even though I'm not, we crave attention as humans and we don't realize that until that's taken away from us. But like, I've never FaceTime so much, use Zoom so much. Yeah. Like, you know, Steve, you invited me to a Zoom happy hour or like a, a, a drinks on Saturday night. It's like, that's what we're doing now. It's like, we are craving connection. And it got so big where I was like, oh my God, everybody's, I never even heard of, I mean, I'd heard of Zoom for like a conference call for work, <laughs> but like, like before that, you know what I mean? And then like, now everybody's using it. And then I made a joke on a work Zoom call. I'm like, you guys, I'm going to go buy stock in Zoom. And everyone's <laughs> like, hey, great tip. Cause guess what? It actually went up. And I was like, I'm sure there's, there's, there's my second, uh, <laughs> second career as a stockbroker, but like it really, it, it's been insane. And it's just trying to like, especially for people like us that like are used to, yes, we're used to chaos, but like you start getting used to a structure and, and things yeah. like that. So it's, it's finding what our new structure is now and what we're doing. And I mean, I hate to say it. Like, I'm not a huge drinker. I find myself drink. I'm like, is it five o'clock yet? I just need a glass of wine. Like, it's really just become a thing where it's like, Jesus, who have I become? Yes. No, I, I, I agree completely. Um, I had to upgrade to Zoom Pro um, simply in order to extend these Zooms because the, the hour? Regu- yes, the regular yes. ones you're <laughs> only allowed. Minutes, right? Yeah, the regular one you're yeah. only allowed to do for 40 minutes. And so now I need to get more out of it than that. I think that's so funny. We're using it so much. And it's it's like you crave just that seeing other people, seeing human beings. Yeah. And I 100% agree with you. The moment I see five or six o'clock, I'm like, do I have beer in the refrigerator? Because totally. Hmm, yeah. Totally. And do I want to risk the Rona if I'm out to go and actually go to Whole Foods and get, oh. get a bottle of wine? I mean, I've, I've been using a lot of delivery, obviously, but like last time I was like, oh God, like I, there's nothing to drink. What, do I just make a vodka soda? Like, who? Yeah. Like, Steve, I barely have a glass of wine like once a week. Like, this is what it's come to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I chose uh, to have a couple beers on a Zoom conference last night rather than work out. And that's not like yeah. me. I got it. That is right. not like me. But bad habits are forming. I'm, chose, yes. True. It is bad. How are you, you did say work out. That's the one thing. Like I've actually been going outside. That's the stuff that I don't have time for. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very active person. And, yeah. And the last – year has been really challenging with my schedule and it's, right. you know, you've got to be disciplined to make yourself get up and work out. And sometimes I'm just really tired and I, you know, sure. it's the first thing that's going to go when you do that. But I've been like forcing myself to like go outside, go for a run and to kind of break up the monotony. I've been doing a lot of my work calls actually outside. Oh, that's the good. That don't require zoom. Yeah. And so I've been taking walks and people are actually respecting it. Like if I'm out running or if I'm walking, people are literally like, you know, kind of get off to the, off the sidewalk and like give you your space. I got yelled at yesterday by, I live in a neighborhood that has some little like private patrol or whatever. And okay. this person's like, the park's closed. I'm like, <laughs> I was walking. I'm like, I'm like, I'm just walking. I'm not even sitting. And they're like, yeah. you can't sit. I'm like, I wasn't planning on it, dude. <laughs> just yes. going. Yeah. But they're, they're, it's funny you say that. Cause I got a hike in right before they closed those parks and those trails. It's kind of, it, we're kind of in a weird place and and it and as messed up as it is i like i'm praying obviously like like it's deadly it's it's scary it's unknown and i think that's what a lot why people have resulted to drinking and they don't know what to do and we just have an end date but in a if we were to look at the positive of it it's like it's a universal reset almost it's like we all have to like slow 
down and it's kind of brought people together. I know a lot of it's out of fear and I'm not being neg. I don't, I'm not trying to be negligent by saying this because I am terrified. I'm terrified. I'm terrified for my family, my mom, my dad, all that stuff. But also it's like, we have to say, what else are we going to do? We have to stay positive and just practice our own precautions and, and, and be safe. Absolutely. And in terms of being safe, I know that you, are running post right now for Below Deck Mediterranean yes. remotely. Obviously, you have all your editors. Every the really the entire staff is spread out. Yep. So how are yep. you doing that? How are you able to kind of run your team from all over town? I can't say this for certain uh, because I don't know about the volume of uh, other people's shows. But from what I've heard and what I know of the series that I run, we probably have the most volume of footage out of any television show, just because we shoot. 24 hours a day, you know, we have 15 surveillance cameras, we have five roaming cameras, GoPros, like we have so much footage. And so our biggest issue has been, A, how do we compress this footage down, copy it over? Because a lot of production companies are actually just doing remote servers, right. which is where they could log in and do it that way. We it, our, we have 40 people on our post staff, which is because we have... We have a lot of episodes. Yeah. And we have a condensed. We have air dates, and we have a condensed schedule. And so, it's actually faster for us to to. Well, it, listen, everything is trial and error. But sure, we, we're, sure, we're trying this of, of sending hard drives home to everybody, and everybody's kind of file sharing these Avid files, and and everyone has a story station or an Avid at their house, and it's been. Listen, we are going to air in June as of now. Wow. Okay. Wow. Have you pushed dates, whether that's uh, dates when cuts are due or an actual air date simply because of this dramatic scenario that we're all in? Air dates, we don't know yet. Um, That's actually TBD because it's going to be really interesting. Um, But as far as cut dates, absolutely. We're already two weeks behind. So I don't know how we're going to finish. I personally do not know how we're going to finish all of this and- I mean, unless you, you know, give one less cut to the network and they're okay with it. But like, thankfully, Bravo has been such a great partner with everything and understanding. And, you know, we're in the middle of getting our pickup interviews because, you know, when we shoot these shows, we do interviews in the field, but obviously you don't have time to get all the interviews. So you have to interview them again. Yeah. And so the week before all this happened, we, because obviously this is happening in the world, we were trying to get everybody over from Europe because our, half our cast is in Europe. Correct. Just like try to interview them and get the, everything we needed for the rest of the season. And then all this hit and we're like, oh my God, like I think we're just stuck using what we're using because we can't even shoot remotely at this point. It, and it's not just us. It's like, it's a it's a weird, weird place. And there's other franchises obviously that that have had to make a lot of concessions as well. And I don't know. I mean, I think that everybody's just kind of like, well, this is all we can do. <laughs> yeah. what, do you, what do we do? But I think the biggest fear, right, is for people like myself, who's a freelancer, I think every all production came to a standstill. And so yeah. it's, there's a lot of nervousness about what happens, how long are we going to be down? And so I think that is kind of the ultimate, like, oh, God, what's the answer? When is this going to come back? Yeah, it's crazy. But you know what I have found is there's an uptick. It was really funny because I was looking at Below Deck Sailing's airing right now and they're still actually editing. And that's, you know, they're really crunched against air dates, obviously. Yeah. And um, they've really seen a big uptick in ratings. And when I went yes. on to, I, I always check on like Showbuzz Daily. Sure. Because that's a great site for, for ratings the next day. And I mean, the fact that they've gone up by a lot is fantastic. Well, now 
they're, I think, at number 25 for cable. They're normally a lot higher because the top 25 shows are all, besides WWE, it's all news. Over 3, 4 million plus for a news show, but that's what everyone's working All right, on. let's uh, let's pump the brakes on the, the coronavirus talk for a second. Let's talk about you. All right, so I taught, you know, comedian, writer, host. You were... You know, you had started when you started your career here, like you were really all about being whether it was on camera or up on stage. You know, you did the hot tamales, uh, stand up in stilettos, um, you know, uh, TV, Nouveau TV, stand up and deliver. You were really full head on looking at trying to be a big time stand up comedian. How did you get into comedy and what was kind of give me a little bit of the taste of what it was like to be a comedian? Well, I started off, it was funny, I started off um, in college and I really started hitting it hard as soon as I graduated. And I that was I just wanted to do stand-up. I, I always wanted to work in TV. I knew that as a kid. I was a bio major because, of course, I had Persian parents and they were like, you have to be a doctor, you have to be a lawyer. I'm like, fine, I'll go, I'll go get my bio degree just in case. And the irony is I was telling my mom, because I, I was a comm minor and I was, I had a double major and I dropped it to a minor because I didn't want to stay in school any longer. I wanted to graduate. And I was telling my mom, I, I was telling her, I was thanking her for being so supportive. And then I'm like, but I go, you made me stick it out with my bio degree, which I love. I'm a science nerd. So it was totally fine. Yeah. And she was like, no, I didn't. She goes, I, I, I told you you could do whatever you want to do. I'm like, no, I go, you kind of guilted me into keeping my major. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it was a, you know, it, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So as soon as I got out of college, I, I was an intern for, I mean, this is to age me, um, when Bill Maher was on Politically Incorrect and he had that yeah. before that was off the air. And they had really given me an opportunity to um, get in with the writers. And I was helping with the writers because one of the writer's assistants had gone to get married and they let me intern over there. That's great. And they gave me a lot more tasks and they they let me write some, like they used to have these polls on the show. They let me write some polls. It was really great. And I remember the uh, head writer at the time, Billy Martin, was like, they didn't, you have to do stand-up. And I, at that point, wanted to do stand-up. And this is when I was in college. He's like, that is your job for your internship. He's like, besides that, he's like, you got to get on stage. And That's so great. he really gave me that push to to make it happen. And, and you know, I hit, hit the road. I was doing all that. And then, of course, my family's like, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> You don't want to be a clown. You don't want to be a clown your whole life. And I'm like, God, I'm not a clown. This is fine. Go get your master's. So I went and I got my master's and I was doing stand up. And in between that, I was still working. So I'd be like, and I was an assistant. I was an executive assistant for this guy that had a development deal over at 20th. And like, I would literally answer phones by day and help write one sheets. And then by night was driving from LA to San Diego just to go do 10 minutes for free beer and gas money. Like, I was hitting it so hard and yeah. I know it was crazy. And then somehow I, I just got kind of sick of just, I mean, I then I got promoted and blah, blah, blah. But like I went, went over into the um, promos department because at that time, like, you know, we were making a hundred dollars a day. So you're making $24,000 a year, barely, you know, eating. Ooh, and yes. I remember I was like, I'll just take a meeting. And the guy had said, what's it going to take to steal you from, you know, this department? And I was like, I want to make $36,000 a year, right? I'm thinking I'm asking for big money because to me, it was big money then. It was yeah. very big money then. So I'm not trying to act like it's not to anyone else in the rest of the company. That was like, that was my ambition. Like I was very ambitious. And so 
they gave it to me and I was like, oh my God, I have to quit my job now. So <laughs> I, I randomly took a random turn into, um, to promos and they ended up firing a bunch of people. I started writing TV promos. Like now that that's such a great skill set for me to have doing what I do with my job, which we can get to, but, um, I was writing all those. And then I, I met a bunch of people like at, at, um, Sony and then at Paramount. So I wrote like the, I, I did some stuff for Paramount for Charlotte's web. I did barnyard, which is another animated stuff. I did a lot of like international releases for Sony. Um, so it was really, I mean, it was really quite an experience. And at that point I was making, you know, decent money telling jokes and I was like, I'll just go back to school. And then, uh, so I got my master's and then I somehow landed a radio show that was syndicated where I was Nadine on the scene and I was doing all the entertainment <laughs> reporting. And then that, I know it's so crazy. Such I've never done name. that. And the, Such a great title. They're like, why don't you try Why don't you try it? I go, sure. And it was radio. I didn't realize it was such a fun because nobody's watching you. You're not being right. judged. There was nothing to it. So you could just be free. And it was a, it was a very new thing for me because I'd obviously never done radio and, and they ended up using me. They liked me. And then that was for national lampoon radio. And then they went over to XM and then they gave me a show and I did, um, I did a, a radio show. Uh, it was, I had a four hour block for XM radio. And then when the serious merger happened, we were on for a little bit and then it was with clear Channel, So they kind of took a lot of clear channel stations off that air. And, but by that time I was like, you know, fully just doing stand up, doing those, you know, best week ever's and those, you know, I love the nineties type shows. Those were and great. So funny. I had a, yeah full life as a comedian, never thought in a million years that I'd do reality. And in between that, I was doing a, um, I pitched a show to Fox TV studios and they liked the idea. They didn't go with it, but they were starting a creative think tank where they wanted like people from all walks of life to come in and kind of be like creative monkeys for the studio where we would look at, come up with new ideas, scripted, unscripted, whatever it was. And I met this guy, Jason Berlin, who's this brilliant Harvard grad. Um, and now he's quit TV and s signs up Democrats all over the country. God bless him. I love him <laughs> so much. Um, but he, at that time, was writing on Run's House like a year later. He's like, hey, and listen, there, that was the age of soft scripting. Yes. And he's like, we sure. need writers for Daddy's Girls. Sorry. Uh, yeah, unquote, the producers, right? yeah, the spinoff. Yes, right. Yeah, the spinoff. Yes. And they were, we were producers. And I go... I've never written reality TV. I've never even done reality TV because I was I was a, just a joke writer and a stand-up. And he's like, well, it's only two months. I go, it's not going to hurt. So I went and took that job. Here's what's crazy. Out of that writer's room was Graham Moore, who wrote Imitation Game and won an Oscar for it. Wow. He, you know, he was on. Wait. I know. Imitation Game is, there's nothing funny about Imitation Game. No, I game. know. Oh, I know this. He was in our writer's room. We had the most brilliant writer's room. This guy, Ben Epstein, who's, who's brilliant, wrote, you know, has, has sold a million scripted shows. Charles Hood's a director. Like it was the most brilliant. Sue Kalinsky, who's one of the most brilliant writers. Like it, it, all those producers, people like, were writing Jason Berlin. Daddy's, Daddy's, Daddy's girls. girls, Daddy's girls. Oh my Whew. God. We had table reads for a reality show. It was so insane. So I learned this whole new genre of like soft scripting things. And I never really asked for a title or anything like that. It just became something I did. And then the show Jersey Licious came out Oh boy! and they're like, well, they, I know they're like, we need somebody that knows how to kind of soft script it. We don't need dialogue like you did on daddy's girls, but we need beats. And I remember at the time my agent, I had an agent just for my, for a talent agent. And sure. 
He's like, Nadine, this is kind of a weird skill set you have. Do you want to take it? It's a quick job. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. <laughs> so I did that. I I didn't even ask for any title, not realizing that I'm actually scripting out their whole yeah, I know. season. Obviously with obviously with the showrunner and you know the people above right. me, I can't, you right. know, it was a team effort. I can't take credit for the whole thing. There's no way. I was just I was just the person that was writing. So then I was like, all right, I'm going back to stand up and who cares? Because it was just like to me, it was just a, a gig. And then I remember I did a show for IFC. They called the Grid, where it was it was when Tosh came out, Tosh Point Yes, and they wanted to do a nerdy version of Tosh okay. for IFC. So I was going to host it and write it, and we did a pilot. And my friend had just sold the Housewives of Miami, and she's like, "Nadine, do you want to come do this show for us?" And I was like, "I don't know." And then I was like, "Well, I just got this pilot. I can't really go on the road and tell jokes. So sure, I'll I'll do an episode." It kind of became a messy scenario for the production company, and I feel really bad. And and it, it kind of ended up being where they kind of let everyone go. They kept me somehow. Somehow I ended up finishing the series with, um, at the time, a story assistant who basically became a story producer, who is now my co-EP on Below Deck Med, who've been working together wow. since 2009. You're loyal. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, I'm so loyal. I I will. I, I want to work with everybody. I've, like that. I it's for me. It's a family. And, um, and I, cause our pilot never got picked up. And so I was like, oh, well, I'll just stay and finish housewives of Miami. And that was my naivete, not knowing, like, I mean, see I had no business running posts and, and helping clean up a show. Do you know what I mean? They brought in oh, yeah. Gary Bernstein from housewives of New York for two months to like help get us going and show us how to like do a housewives. And then she had to leave to go to New York. So it was just me. Shane and like a bunch of editors. Steve, I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, <laughs> what I've learned looking back is like story is story, right? You can, sure. If you could tell a story, then you could do this. But obviously, there is a skill set to put, and especially a show like Housewives. It's it's very specific. It's not scripted. It's it's you know it, you're really crafting these stories from verite footage and trying to find the story and then reframe the interviews. I mean, it was it was crazy. Well, doing so any show from, for Bravo. I think that yes. is a skill set in itself. Thank you. <laughs> no, I, I yes, I, I, I've I did the Rachel Zoe project, uh, and I've done you know I, I sold a, a pilot presentation yeah. to them. It is not easy. Yeah. It's not the same. No, it's not as doing an ABC show. And the craziest part is at the time because they only had Housewives of New York, Beverly Hills, and Orange County, and I think Atlanta. I need to look back at the timeline. I think actually Atlanta had started, but they didn't want to be known as the Housewives Network, so they bought a show about art and cooking in Miami. So so this poor production company shot a whole show about art and cooking in Miami. So if you go back to the first season of Housewives of Miami, you'll go back and say, why do they have cooking lessons? Why are they at the art gallery? It's like, that's why, actually. Like, So we reframed it and got, you know, got it on the air. And um, I remember at the time, they're like, well, you can't go. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm a comedian. This is not my job. Like, what are you talking about? And so... I remember another show needed a little help um, and because they were, you know, just t- tight timelines and all that stuff. And they asked me again. I'm like, I'm not doing it. And, th- and it was in Orlando. They're like, Nadine, please. I'm like, fine. It's two months. I ended up doing it. So I accidentally, I actually had a, I had a, I was on my way as a comedian and doing fine and paying my bills. And I somehow were like, just pivoted over to reality and, you know, I think the one thing I like about working on these shows is it's very creative. I know that people are like, oh, it's like it's a puzzle. It's like finding a needle sure. in a haystack. How yeah. do you work this material? How do you work this footage? How do you 
like I love shooting it, seeing it's like it's a big sociology experiment. As you, as, you know, I think in 15 years, I think every psych student and social students should come and like visit a show, like a show like Below Deck, which is like all unfolding in real time. And it's like, just get your popcorn and watch because it's, it's you can't make, you cannot write the stuff. I'm like, it's scripted. I'm like, no, I'm not that yeah. smart to script this. You guys are actually like, that's actually, it, it, it's impossible. And, you know, I think Sherry Levine, who's like my fairy godmother, I love her so much for just being my biggest champion um, at Bravo and, and, you know, Jen Levy and, you know, Josh Brown over at, uh, for, below deck and for every other thing it's like i'm so lucky to have had the support of and jen's over at netflix now but the support of these wonderful executives throughout the years you know with kathleen french and all, all these it's like i i can't be more grateful all right well let's talk about below deck mediterranean because it has yes. become a massive hit and i think one of the things that's fascinating about that is it's a spinoff but yet you found an audience a massive audience and your ratings are through the roof uh, you know, you were named one of the best television shows of 2019 by Entertainment Weekly. You posted the largest 18 to 49 ratings growth of any television series that's been airing for the past four years. Back in July, okay, the Bravo uh, communications team reported uh, your highest rated episode uh, to date. Okay, uh, the PR team tweeted out the naughty yachties of Below Deck Med uh, had huge highs uh, sailed away to the most watched episode of the series to date, delivering 1.3 million in the 18 to 49 demo and 1.5 million 25 to 54 and 2.7 million total viewers. How exciting is that? It's hard to believe because, you know, my job hasn't changed from when I was doing, you know, Housewives to this. And, all, and especially for Below Deck Med, it's like, we've been doing the same thing. And so what makes me happy is seeing that it's found an audience and that so many people watch it. And so like, it, you know, you go work to the bone, like on a show that nobody watches, and then you go work on something that somebody watches and it just, it's f finding that audience. And I, I can't, you know, I can't believe how big <laughs> it's gotten. Yeah. It, it, it grew, it grew past original blow deck, which is, crazy because I started on original blow deck and then, um, and then they handed me the new franchise to launch. And, and then I was still working on both a little bit. Um, and it kind of just took on a life, like it was like a little life force. It just kept going. And I remember the big thing is like, Oh gosh, the accents, the, this, the, that, or the, is the American audience going to like it? And you know, what I love about the med is, um, it does feel very different than um, original. And I love original, but like it, you know, we've got a female captain, which that's a crazy story. Cause um, I met captain Sandy through a comedian friend of mine. So it, comedy goes into play with that and um, brought her on season two. And I really feel like she brought such a force of energy and no disservices, captain Mark, that was season one. He was fantastic, but she brought on such a life form to the series and it was so refreshing to have this female captain. And I think the Met is really sexy. So there's a travel aspect to it. And, you know, I, what I like is like you're exploring different cultures with all the different nationalities yeah. on the boat. I, I listen, I I'm blown away. It's like when you have Steven Soderbergh tweeting about your series and, you know, like it, it's crazy. Get, you know, and uh, tweeting about it like all it's like holy cow all these people like watch this little show while 
well, I just work, you know, I, I go ship for <laughs> six and a half weeks on a boat. Everyone's like, oh, it's so glamorous. And I'm like, no, when I go outside and take a picture off on the boat, it's nice. We're trapped in it. We turn over a whole um, uh, a master suite of the boat and we turn it into a control room. You know, we're, we're holed up and we're very in tight quarters and we're sweating and, you know, we're, oh, yeah. we're bunkered down. I mean, it, we're, it, it's a really interesting thing. So let's talk about how you film the show, because obviously to get a great reality show on a boat like that is not easy. Um, how do you go about uh, driving story? How do you go about getting what you're the, the fantastic uh, program that you're getting out of this cast? Uh, how, what's the structure? I mean, the, the structure is really I mean, it's very non-traditional. Like, you know, we don't go in with any preconceived notion. I mean, the biggest thing is obviously you know, when we look for the audience to work on the boat, they, they have to be, they have to operate the boat. I hear a lot of fans that say, oh, this is not the real crew. They've got another crew. It's like, no, the safety of the boat. And there's like, there's real maritime laws. Like these are real yachties. And these are real people that operate heavy machinery. So like our lives are in their hands. So it's not actually, you know, safety first before anything. And our biggest thing is we, basically point and shoot. And once we get to know kind of like their tics, their idiosyncrasies, who they are as a human being, you know, the archetype, then you could really get two steps ahead of them because you're like, okay, I actually think they're going to, and this is just us internally as producers thinking, I actually think they might react to something like this. And if that's the case, we know to send a camera somewhere, you know, like, and we have a director uh, who's like a field producer that basically I sit next to and I'm like, send a camera to this room, send a camera to this room, make sure we're capturing this. And it's really a big, a big social experiment. I mean, when you're trapped on a boat, you're bound to go stir crazy and, and you're in tight living quarters. It's like, you can't help it, but story will happen. And so we don't, we're really hands off. I, I know it sounds really unbelievable, but we're, we're really a follow doc and we point and we shoot and we just hope that we capture everything. And that's, that's really what we do and try to be two steps ahead of them psychologically to know where the cameras are going to go. Um, but we don't point story. We don't talk to them because the thing is, is if they see us, they want to talk to us. Like if we come out of that control room, they want to talk to us. And the only thing I can say to them is they, when they say Nadine, so-and-so's being, you know, really rude or blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, don't tell me, go, go talk to somebody else. <laughs> like I'm not that person. Like, cause that, that's sure. the only thing I can say. Cause I'm not their outlet. Their right. outlet has to be their, their people. So if I have to go out to like, God forbid something happens, you know, that's what happens. And the guests, you know, it's funny. A lot of guests don't like the way they're portrayed and they'll like go to the press and say, oh, they t- the producer sold us. I'm like, I couldn't even like there's no, they wouldn't even know my name. Like there's <laughs> no producer talks to the guests. Like, right. And what's crazy to me is these people pay so much money and they act like, you know, some people are amazing and some people are get very drunk and they watch themselves. And what I found is people don't like to watch themselves because of they don't course. like to watch the truth. Yeah, <laughs> sure. And what they don't know is we edit out a lot of bad stuff because sometimes it's just so we don't have time for it. We have 43 minutes of show basically. Well, now 44 is going to extend it, but it's like, it's, there's only so much you could show, but it's, it's really point and shoot. So our biggest thing is to make sure we capture everything is we put surveillance all around the boat. Um, you know, they all have them in their cabins. We have it in the galley. We have one in the bridge where the captain drives the boat. There didn't used to be one. But um, season two, I caught two of our cast members sneaking around. And I remember I had a sneaking suspicion about it. So before we left the boat, I said, stick a GoPro up there <laughs> and put a live mic up there. 
and see what what happens. And everyone thought I was crazy. Like, they they're not hooking up. I go, I promise you they are. Like, my gut just told me they were. And guess what? They were. And it was a big scandal season two because there was a love triangle going on. And ever since season two, like how the show's changes, we just keep adding cameras. Because yeah. if you don't, if, if we didn't capture it, it didn't happen. So imagine how many things happened that we didn't even know. You know what I mean? Yeah. As we were going through the show. The whole boat's wired. We can hear everything all the time. Um, and so we don't miss a beat. So that brings me to my next question, which is how key is the almost Big Brother style aspect of the way you do the show, where it really is 24-7 surveillance and they have no choice but almost to date each other, right? And to fight with each yeah. other because there's nobody else to, to, to deal with, right? Like it's a, pressure, right. it's a bit of a pressure cooker. It is a pressure cooker. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny. It's like, you know, they may always make a joke of like, you know, uh, on land, somebody would be a, a six, but on a yacht, they're a 10, right? <laughs> it's like, that's just, the more time goes on, the cuter people get. <laughs> I think, I think that's apropos to the coronavirus. I think at some point people are going to start right. to be a, a Corona 10. Uh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's really funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh God, that's really funny. <laughs> and, and so, uh, and then kind of in conjunction with that, uh, I, I find that the below deck med has an incredible level of authenticity. Um, yes. and can you talk, a, you. can you talk a little bit about, you know, you said point and shoot, which I think is not many people are able to do that. Um, but I, I've found that casts really struggle with being authentic now because they've watched yeah. so much soft scripted. Right. How do you get the cast to really ignore that you're there and to really bring out their authentic selves? Well, here's, you know, with, with Below Deck, what's interesting is it, it's, you know, you've got to weed through who you, who you have on the show. I mean, obviously it has to go with the resume first and if they can, and listen, we've had people that have lied on the resumes and, and the references have lied, you know, that's, you've seen that on the show. We let it all unfold real. Everyone's like, Oh, you guys stunt cast it. It's like, no, they actually lied and we let it unfold the way it, it does. But, um, but it, with authenticity, it's, you know, the more popular the show gets, obviously, the harder it is to get these, you know, people that aren't out there to, you know, go promote their next smart water or whatever their brand is. I mean, sure. I think with Below Deck, our advantage is that they're actual real yachty. So right. they aren't out there to try to hawk their next product or go floss or do something like that. They're in a uniform. It's it's an soap. It's a total workplace thing. So I think when you're working and you're doing a job, it's kind of hard to fake it. And the camera show everything if you are faking it. So that's that's the biggest thing. If you can't do your job, then you're out. And there's real stakes. And that's something that we don't control. If the captain wants to fire somebody, they could fire somebody. It's not the show. I remember somebody got fired one time and they were like, does Bravo know? And it's like, yeah, but like Bravo has no control over who gets fired. Really? It's not about okay. bringing anybody back. No, it's like, if they break maritime law, like that's it. They're off. It's like, that's the law. Like that's, it is what it is. So it's a very interesting, you know, thing like that where the, the captain has total control because when the captain takes control of that vessel, they, they sign onto that vessel and it becomes, they're the real captain of that vessel. It's not like just for TV. So it's, it's, 
it's real. And we, you know, we have to abide by maritime law. We can't just go anchor anywhere. We can't just stop and shoot. Of like course. it's a really, we've got to move our boat because the, the weather, like mother nature gets in the way all the time. So it's a really crazy, crazy thing. And it's crazy how it, it and that's why I like it. It's like, I know it's, we're always on a boat and there's always guests coming on. Steve, every day is different on that boat. You never right. know what's going to happen. You never know. And I, I love it. Like I, I've never been on a show where I, I have been like, oh my God, what's going to happen? <laughs> you know well, what I mean? No, it's funny you say that. I've liked the episodes where the weather becomes a factor because yeah. personally it takes the cast out of their normal drama and forces them to yeah. deal with this outside element. Um, right. And then you see kind of who their real selves are. Yep. That's true because they have to do the job. Also, to answer that, I think a lot of the yachties that are international have never seen the show because we are international, but we're not in all the countries. Yeah. And so they don't, a lot of them don't know what to expect. They get a little shell shocked when they see cameras the first, you know, day. And so they're a little quiet, but it gets so busy. They can't, you have to ignore it because otherwise you're caught flat footed and you're not doing your job. What have been some of your favorite moments with the cast or some some of the favorite conflicts that you've had between them, some of the favorite your favorite storylines uh, that have developed uh, over the past few seasons? You know, for me, it's like I get ups- I'm such an empath. I get upset when they fight. I really do because I feel in a I'm very protective over all of them and I have a lot of empathy for them. And I always, you know, if somebody's kind of acting unruly, it's like knowing them and going through interviews with them and knowing their past, it's like you see the, you know, it's the psychology of them, like why they're triggered, why they're reacting. And so I think, you know, my favorite moments are not the conflict moments. It's the triumph moments. It's like seeing Captain Sandy, you know, this past season, like dock a boat in San Tropez. I mean, I have never seen a docking like this in my life. I mean, Steve, I was so scared. I mean, not for Sandy. I know Sandy is the biggest pro, but seeing how she can fit a boat in this tiny space, not even sweat it, then get off the boat and go, I'm going to get some ice cream. What were (laughs) it It was like the most unbelievable. It was like, you know what? Like football players win the Super Bowl. They're like, I'm going to Disneyland. It was like, that was Sandy's Disneyland is uh, Captain Sandy's Disneyland. I'm going to go get ice cream. I was like, Sandy, were you not shitting your pants? And she's like, no, it's fine. I was like, oh my God. I mean, she's amazing. But like, those are the moments that are like, it, there, it, it's scary because you're you're also kind of fear for your own life in a way, but also I live for the moments when they come. You know, after they drop off the guests and they have their nights out and they all come back to the boat and they're all drinking. I mean, Steve, talk about watching funny drunk people. <laughs> I literally just die. Like I die. Like I wish people could just watch this raw footage because the stuff you see, like in people's bunks or what they're doing, like I literally just cry laughing. It's like I'm laughing with them. I'm crying with them. I'm, you know, it's, and you know, the parts that hurt me are like, when I watch them fight, it's like, I, I personally, as a human being want to go and be like, you guys, please just stop fighting. Like, but I can't, and I have to let it all unfold. And it kills me, you know, season two, when there was a love triangle with Malia, uh, our, our chef and our bosun Wes, uh, with chef Adam, it wasn't my favorite, but it was my favorite as far as a, like, kind of like watching people in their natural habitats and what they do in a small space. And if they're dating two people and like seeing how people react and like, 
it was just so interesting because I saw Malia that was just, she was just so stuck in a hard place and she got a bad rap. She really did for it. And I, I think it was unfair because, you know, yes, she was the one that was kind of dating both, but like she'd kind of cut things off with Adam and, and seeing Adam go through a really hard time and Wes go through a hard time. It's like, I saw all of their points of views, like, and I thought for all of them, cause I was like, they're all hurting and I'm watching this all unfold where if like, if, in, in, if I wasn't on the boat as a producer, that, that's how you've got to look at it. It's like, if I'm not on the boat and I'm not here, it's like, this is what would happen. So you just cannot interfere. So what's the deal right now with Asia and Jack? Asia and Jack are not together right now. They are friends. They kind of stopped talking for a very long time, but they reconvene and they're friends. Jack is actually having a baby with his girlfriend who he started dating after he dated her a little bit before the show. And then after, so I remember Jack's like, Nadine, I need some money. What should I do? And I'm like, I don't know, Jack, you gotta start, you gotta keep working, man. And I was like, poor guy. I mean, he's, he is such a lovable human being. Like I love that guy so much. And I think he's going to be a great father. Um, Asia's in New Zealand. She's killing it. She's doing um, a show that's in New Zealand that we have in America that I don't know if she's announced yet, um, but it has to do with dancing. Oh, um, So okay. I'm going to just leave it at that. That's but it's exciting. in a New Zealand format. I think that's a big enough hint um, yeah. where you guys can put together what she's <laughs> doing in New Zealand. Yes. But they're doing wonderful and they're still friends, but they did go through a big period where after the show and they broke up and they didn't talk. Got it. Because Jack started dating the girl he was dating before, and she was upset by it. It's tough. But they worked it out. Yes. So everybody's doing the whole food and essentials, you know, uh, during the coronavirus a little bit differently. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that everybody is mad dashing to the grocery store right now to get their essentials. But you don't have to do that for Omaha Steaks. Now announcing the Omaha Steaks stock up sale. For a limited time, Omaha Steaks is offering this sale to cover all your needs with a variety of steaks, seafood like salmon, halibut, and lobster, chicken, pork, burgers, easy to make meals, and desserts. Every order is flash frozen, vacuum sealed, and safely delivered in a cooler with dry ice. And while you're at it, Send a care package to loved ones to make sure their freezers are stocked too. Go to omahasteaks.com and enter the code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, into the search bar. You'll get free shipping right to your doorstep on orders of $69 or more. Take advantage of this limited time offer with the code BLEAV at omahasteaks.com. All right, now I got to ask about BravoCon, okay? Yes, because I think, first of all, it's a genius idea for people who don't know. BravoCon, similar to you know Comic-Con, basically it was in New York. Tell me if I'm, I'm wrong here, Nadine. Uh, but, and it was you know a lot of the Bravo celebrities, the Bravo talent, as well as people like yourself, showrunners, right? And you know Andy Cohen. Um, and, and it was a celebration of all things Bravo, whether that's shows, uh, paraf- you know, uh, merchandise, things like that. And fans of all the Bravo shows could come and meet their favorite talent. Um, and it sold out like immediately, right? What was that? Yes. What was BravoCon like? And how just how insane is it 
that Bravo has become so iconic and such a big deal that you could sell this out so quickly? You know, I was shocked. I mean, I think that they did this as an experiment of like, you know, if, if this is something they could sustain and all that stuff. And then um, it was funny because a lot of people were like, oh, can you get tickets to BravoCon? I heard it sold out in like seconds. Like, yeah, I, who knew? I don't think Bravo even knew that they were, you know, going to have this big of an audience. Like, and, and I mean, you would think that, you know, Captain Sandy or Reza or MJ or like any other Bravo celebrities, you think they were Beatles. Like when people <laughs> come out, like I'm telling you, if they came out of the, the, you know, room or if they saw them, like they were being swarmed. Like I've never seen anything like it my whole life. And, you know, what I really loved about it, it was like the people were really genuinely curious and it was, you know, there were great panels and, you know, you kind of really got the insight of like what was happening, but they also had a lot of like great games like Jerry O'Connell, you know, hosted a live game show and like Andy Cohen did uh, watch what happens live. It was really like, I, you know, and everyone was kind of laughing be like, Oh, it's going to be a fire festival. Like, you know, <laughs> this is going to be crazy. I mean, Steve, it was, it was amazing and it was so organized and it was so much fun. I've really never seen anything like it. And I think, they're probably going back and like, how do we make this bigger? Because it was spread out into, I think, three or four different venues, maybe five. That's incredible. But, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. And and they were, I mean, what made me sad is like, you know, there was a lot of fans out there. And these things were going for like three grand on StubHub when the tickets were like, I don't know, $400 to maybe $600. <sighs> that is, I yeah. mean... The you know, there aren't a lot of networks, if you think about, that could pull something like that off. And I think that's a testament right. to the way Bravo has built um, an audience um, with all of their different franchises. So it's pretty cool that you were able to get, I mean, be a part of that. What I think Bravo does well is that they, you know, people buy into the brand. It's not just one yeah. show. So right. it's very, yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's wrap things up with what you're watching during the COVID-19 shelter in place? I watch a lot of comedy. Um, I just finished watching Curb. Uh, Uh, I'm obsessed with Larry David. I know some people cannot watch him and they, (laughs) he makes them crazy. I'm obsessed. Like I'm so obsessed. I can't get enough. Yeah. Uh, This season was pretty, you know, he was uh, on a, on a 12 uh, extra Larry David. Um, I've been watching a lot of Schitt's Creek on Netflix. Uh, Yes. Um, that's a great, great series. Um, I watch, oh my God, I, I, I'm a little behind on Homeland. Here's the thing. I know a lot of people think it jumped the shark. It did. Yeah. It's the last season. Yes. So I am an avid watcher. I need to finish watching it. Um, I just watched the Hillary doc on Hulu. Was that, um, how was that? Docuseries. How was that? You know, was, what was interesting is that, you know, I think Hillary is very polarizing for a lot of people. You sure. love her, you, you hate her. I think, it did its job in making her a lot more likable and giving her POV okay. uh, the way I, I don't know. I obviously don't know anybody who worked on it, so I could be completely wrong as a viewer watching it. I feel like what they did is cause they followed her during her campaign and I bet they were going to release it thinking she Correct. was going to win. Yeah. And you know, unfortunately she didn't, but that's yeah. not going to get into politics sure. on your, sure. <laughs> on your podcast. Um, but I, you know, I think that they went back and reframed it and kind of went back of like, the campaign and, and just made it more about her. I mean, it, she didn't talk about what was happening currently. There was a couple of things that she did say that were, you know, obviously relevant to right now, but 
I mean, Hillary's my God. It's like, you don't realize how much she's done and how skilled she is and what she's done and all that stuff. It's like, it's really, uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't learn anything new, but I enjoyed it and I liked her a lot more. I didn't hate her before, but I liked her a lot more. Um, but it's, you always think like, what would this world like world be like had she won? (laughs) Oh yes. Um, I do wonder that. But, um, yeah, but that's, you know, that was, that was interesting. Okay. I'm a sucker. This is going to sound crazy. I'm a sucker for Shark Tank. Yeah. That is a show that I will watch before I go to bed every night. I love Shark Tank so much. Like I'm obsessed. Well, it's, <laughs> um, I always say like it is, it's the American dream, you know, one hour at a time, you know, yep, everybody totally thinks, is. everybody uh, thinks they have an idea and they wish they could just walk into a room, pitch that idea and you yep. know, walk away, you know, with with that uh, that dream coming true. Um, and obviously, there's totally. more to it than that. But I think that's what it makes you feel uh, when you watch it. Yeah. Um, yep. And also, Love Is Blind. I I highly recommend it. Um, I think it is a very interesting twist and a very interesting, like you know, social experiment. And it's like, yes, do they actually? You know, it's seeing these people fall in love the way they do so quickly because there's no outside factors and you put them in the real world and, you know, you socialize them and this is what happens. Well, you know, Netflix just announced that Love is Blind and The Circle both got picked up for two more seasons. Um, I, you know, how apropos that the two shows that the cast is isolated now that happens right during Corona there's a lot to watch. There's a lot yeah. to watch. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's sure. I will make millions also. Um, you guys should, oh, yeah. people should indulge in that. Yes. Yes. That, and uh, that's an just. Old edit- uh, an editor I worked with, uh, Brian Lazarte, uh, was a co-director on that, which was awesome. Yeah. And again, it's like these stories that He's you so find. Talented. Yeah. These stories that people stumble upon are really, you know, I mean, that that's when you get the goods, right? When you stumble upon a story like McMillions or like this Tiger King and you're just like, wow, you know, because you you yeah. can barely believe it yourself. I think that's when you, you, yeah. you got the goods. Yep. Yep. So true. All right, so Nadine. True. Well, thank you for coming on No Script, thank No you. Problem. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. All right. I had such a great time, Steve. I really appreciate it. All right, cool. Well, for everybody out there, thank you for tuning in to another episode of No Script, No Problem. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate it. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it at Bleave.com and at Bleave Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. Please remember to rate it with five stars. You can write a question if you have one, so then I can answer it on the show. Um, I've also got an email, no script, no problem podcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact leave at leave.com. Thanks to Mike Delay and Real Voice LA for the studio and for making this happen uh, remotely. And thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Berkowitz for No Script, No Problem. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.